This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Good morning, Hope Church. Thank you, Michelle and Quiddy. That was a beautiful worship this morning. And uh, welcome to our friends who are joining us online as well. Let's start with a word of prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would open my mouth to speak your truth. Open our ears to hear your word. Humble our hearts, Lord, to be teachable. And set your children free of the lies that bind them this morning. In your mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, Welcome to Hope Church. Family and visitors in the room and those listening online, listening to our podcast. Ten years from now, you're, you're very welcome with us. Actually, if you are watching online or you are listening to the podcast, please drop us a line, send us an email to info at thehope.church or send us a a message on Facebook. Let us know who you are, where you are, and we'd love to be praying for you and uh, welcome you into our extended church family. So the theme for today's message is family. The message is entitled, A Family Business. So as part of my research and preparation this week, I've been reading about family businesses from around the world. Some of them that you may have heard of, Some of them might be new to you. If you ever have the chance to travel to Japan, quick hands in the room, anybody ever been to Japan? No? If you ever get the chance to go to Japan, you need to go to the foothills of the Akashi Mountains. And if you are blessed, you'll have the opportunity to stay in the Kainkan Hotel, which has many natural bathing pools and swimming pools, all filled with water from natural hot springs. And as you enter this hotel, you may be greeted by a member of the management team, a member of the family that for 52 generations has been running this hotel for 1,300 years. This hotel, since the year 705 AD, has been run by the same family. Wow. How's that for a heritage and a legacy? Or perhaps let's spring forward in our TARDIS to the year 1618 to the court of the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire in Constantinople. And there's a young metallurgist and budding alchemist by the name of Avidis Zildjian. And he made an alloy of tin and copper and silver that he was able to beat into a sheet of metal and it made a musical sound when it was struck and it didn't shatter. And the sultan, he granted him permission to leave the court and go and start his own business in the artisan quarter of Constantinople. And this secret formula for making his musical metal was passed down from generation to generation. Zildjian's symbols became popular with military bands and orchestras and even rock and roll bands. Ringo Starr used them when they played the Johnny Carson show in America, and they sold out instantly around the world. Today, the company is still run 14 generations later by the great-great-great-great-great-great-granddaughters 
of the man himself. That said, not all family businesses are run smoothly. Take, for example, the Dassler brothers, Addy and Rudy. They created and ran together the Getter Sports Shoe Company. When Jesse Owens won his spectacular gold medal in the 1936 Olympics, he was wearing Getter shoes. But then in 1948, the brothers had a serious falling out. Well, actually, their wives had a serious falling out, and it kind of spread around. Apparently, they'd been spending too long living together in the same mansion. I mean, who couldn't see trouble coming if you set out that as the way that you were living together? Anyway, almost overnight, the Getter Sports Shoe Company was shut down overnight. But the brothers went back into the business that they knew and they loved, each starting their own sports shoe company, one in the north of the town and one in the south. So Addy Dassler, he started his trainer factory in the north of the town, and being a humble chap, he named it after himself. Addy Dassler, Adidas was the name of his company. And his brother Rudy started his factory in the south of the town, and he named it after himself, Rudy Dassler, Ruda, which wasn't particularly cool, so it wasn't too long before he changed it to Puma. Now, when I was a young teen, I wore Puma trainers. And the slightly cooler kids wore Adidas trainers. But in the hometown of Adidas and Puma, this was serious stuff. The animosity between the brothers was contagious, and it spread through their entire workforce. And these two companies were the biggest employers in this town by a long way. It got to the point where the employees of the two firms and their entire families would avoid speaking to each other. They drank in separate bars, they ate in separate restaurants, they went to different bakeries and different shops. In fact, so ingrained was this animosity between these two groups. The town where they live, see if I can pronounce it, Herzogenerach in Germany. The town got a nickname. It was called the town of the bent necks because of the way that people were always looking at each other's shoes to see what side of the divide they lived on. Actually, speaking of shops, one last story and a little bit of humble pie. Now, you may be aware of the fierce rivalry that exists between Aldi and Lidl. How they follow each other around, they're always trying to outdo each other and open their stores a day before the other one opens and that kind of thing. Um, you've may well heard the story about how actually Aldi and Lidl are owned by two rival brothers who had a falling out and this is the source of the great animosity between the two. I've heard that story many times. I could have sworn to you that it was true. I've even told that story to people. It is in fact not true. So if I've ever told you that story, I apologize, and I like custard on my humble pie. The real story of the Aldi brothers, because they were in fact Aldi brothers, they were called Carl and Theo, Carl and Theo Albrecht, and they took over the small grocers in the tiny German town of Essen that their mother had started. They took the store over in 1945, but by 1950, they had opened 12 more stores all around that kind of Ruhr Valley area of Germany. In fact, Aldi is short for Albrecht Discount. 
But the brothers had a disagreement in the 1960s, by which point their empire had grown to about 300 stores, and they had a fundamental falling out about the way the business should be run. In fact, the falling out was about whether or not they should sell cigarettes. And in fact, so they disagreed so vehemently. One said, well, look, you do that if you want to, but I'm not going to. So they split the empire in half. One brother took all the stores in North Germany and imaginatively called his company Aldi North. And the other brother took all the stores in the south of Germany and he called his company Aldi South. And although the brothers disagreed about how the business should run operationally, they stayed relatively close. Today, the Albrecht family still owns 80% of Aldi around the world. Aldi South began to expand outside of Germany. In the 1970s, they spread south across Italy, down into the Balkans, and across the Channel into the UK, and even across into America. Aldi North also grew and expanded into Eastern Europe, up into Scandinavia, and across into Spain and France. So the next time you pop on holiday to Spain or France, and you go down to Aldi, know that it's a completely separate business from the Aldi you shop in in Malmesbury. And Lidl, nothing at all to do with Aldi. It was founded in the 1970s by a guy called Dieter Schwartz. He already ran a large grocery chain and a wholesale business, but he wanted to get into the discount grocery market. He could see the success of Aldi. So he was going to start his business. He originally was going to call it the, um, just name it after himself, because that's what they do in Germany. You ever, you know, got a Mercedes car and all that kind of stuff. So he was going to call it the Schwartz market. And then someone pointed out, they said, you're going to call your shop the black market. <laughs> I went, oh, yeah, good idea. So he named it after his business partner, who was called Herr Little. What all these family businesses have in common is the fact that the business of being a family is linked to the business that they do together. People do things together because they are related to each other. What you do and who you are these things are related to each other. So turn with me in your Bibles. We're at Luke chapter 8, continuing on from last week, and we're reading from verse 9, and it goes like this. Then his mothers and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, your, mothers and, sorry, your mother and your brothers are standing outside, and they desire to see you. But Jesus answered him, he said, my mother and my brothers they are those who hear the word of God and do it. One of the first things I wondered about when I read this, this passage was that why does it say mother and brothers and not your family? Your family's outside. I mean, that would be the, a more natural thing to say in English, wouldn't it? I mean, I, I wouldn't say to Lydia, uh, your, your sister and your nieces are popping around later. I'd say, your family's coming around for tea. But the thing is, okay, and I, I found this quite amazing, I found it interesting anyway, there is no word for family in the Old Testament, Hebrew, or in New Testament Greek. That, that's not a joke. I'm not, it's not like what I'm saying, have you heard that the word gullible is not in the dictionary? You know, people go and check. But actually, there is no word for family in Hebrew. There's no word for family in New Testament Greek. Let's Let's take a hint at the Hebrew. In the Old Testament, there are words like bayit, which means a house, or the people who live in that house, kind of the household. 
or mispaha, which means clan, so a group of several related households, several related bayids, but not quite the entire tribe. Or the word ben, which means sons, as in Beni Israel, often the word used to describe the nation, the sons of Israel. And it means a, a group of descendants of all kinds and varieties. Then you've got tribe, Sebet, like one of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob and sons, all that kind of stuff. But there isn't a word for family. There's all these other kind of ways of describing it, but not a word family like we would say family. And in New Testament Greek, it's a very similar story. If you take a peek at the Greek, you've got the word oikos, which means a dwelling and the people who live in it, just like bait in the Hebrew, like a household. The word pater means a father or any male ancestor. Patria means your clan, the people who are in the family tree. And huios means sons, um, the, the, the direct children of a father, or much a broader sense of descendants, like Ben in Hebrew. So when we read in the Bible, there's Old Testament and New Testament, it talks about households or clans or tribes or sons. These are all talking about the idea, the concept that we would call family. It's a sense of belonging and connectedness, but it's much more wide-ranging, much more inclusive, much broader than we would normally ascribe the word family to when we're talking in English. I mean, you know, an Englishman's home is his castle. Yeah, this is a very kind of insular sense of the small nuclear family in British, which you know, isn't there in the way that the Bible looks at the world. I mean, if I, I remember when we used to, be to walk down the street in Spain, Lydia, all those years ago. Wow. And, and it would take hours to get anywhere. If we were trying to go to the, you know, the different Aldi, <laughs> uh, we're always being stopped by people who want to talk because they're a cousin, right? But not a kind of a literal cousin, the, the child of an aunt or an uncle in, in kind of the English sense. In Spain, a cousin is anyone who's remotely connected to the family tree. Everyone is a cousin. You can't not marry your cousin in Spain because everyone is related. You know, they're kind of a member of the tribe, that kind of idea. Right, so this is the world's longest introduction to get to the point and set the scene for today's promise and purpose from Scripture which speaks to the heart of who we think we are and what it means to be in God's family and to be a part, to be a part of God's tribe, which connects us all together in a way which is perhaps different and deeper than, we're way, than the way that we're used to thinking about relationships and the people outside of our immediate family home for us British people. You know, I started this morning with some vaguely interesting stories about family businesses from around the world. And a family business is what you get when people who are related to each other get on and build something together. And I thought, that's a pretty good definition for a church, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hope church. It's a family business. It's a group of people who are related to each other and related to because of the fact that they're doing something together. Read again the words of Jesus from Luke 8.21. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers, because there's no word for family, are those who hear the word of God and do it. And do it. Have you noticed this section of Luke's gospel, we've been looking at it for the last couple of weeks, it's all about what you 
do. It's all about what you do. We started with this little aside that Luke made right at the back at the start of the chapter a few weeks ago, talking about the women that were part of Jesus' team who were, what were they doing? They were paying for the whole ministry, right? They were bankrolling the whole thing. Then Lydia delved into the parable of the soils about the condition of your heart. Are you teachable? Are you distracted? Then I spoke about the parable of the lamp, which is all about what do you do with that seed of God that's been sown into you? Not just when you first hear the gospel, but every week when you come to church, every time you open your Bible, what do you do with those truths that you hear and read? And today, Jesus speaks to our, our very identity, saying that his family is not to do with biological relationships, but it's to do with the people who are doing things, those who hear the word of God and do it. Putting your faith into action is what makes you a member of the family. Rolling your sleeves up and getting involved. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying it buys you into the family. It's about what you do once you're already in. You, know, you don't earn your salvation. You don't have to work your way into heaven. We're saved by faith and faith alone. It's a free gift from God just because we believe in Jesus. But the thing that happens next... The thing that happens next, whether we move on, whether we grow into the fullness of what God destined us to be, to become a, someone who is blessed, to be a blessing, to be a part of the family business, knowing where you belong, having that sense of purpose, it's about what we do. It's about hearing the word of God and doing it, putting it into practice. And this is the promise of God, that everyone is welcome into his family. Everyone is destined to what? Live in his father's home in heaven. Jesus said, in my father's house there are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a room for you. To be a part of the household means be a part of the family. You know, it, was, it came up in the, the, the worship song this morning. And this is the promise. What does it say in Ephesians 3, 6? It says, we are fellow heirs. We are members of the same body. We are partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And the other promise that we have is God's Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, it says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone who the Lord our God calls to himself. You know, every, every family is different. You notice this especially when you first get married. What is normal for the, the husband, what he experienced growing up in his household, might be very different from the way that the wife was dragged up. And then when the couple comes together, they're trying to work out, well, we don't do it that way, we don't do it that way, and they're trying to work out what is their way, that in their household, in their family, how are they going to make it happen? And we see plenty of examples in the Bible of how God's family should behave. It's, it's hallmarks, you could say. And I just want to talk about a couple of those this morning. I mean, families don't always agree, do they? They don't agree about what is important. They don't agree about what should be done. Or even if they agree on what should be done, they don't agree about how it should be done, right? I mean, am I the only person who after filling the dishwasher, someone else comes along and does it again properly? There's a lot of knowing giggles there. When Jesus started his own ministry, yeah, at the start of Jesus' ministry, his own family was not totally on board with what was going on. In Mark's gospel recounting of 
the passage today. A few verses earlier, it says this. When he went home, when Jesus went home, the crowd gathered again so that he could not even eat. And when his family, when Jesus' family heard about it, they went out to seize him for they were saying, he's out of his mind. And this is what precedes the immediate arrival of Jesus' mothers and brothers at the mother and brothers at the house where Jesus was preaching today's passage. They arrive and they try and get him out. And Jesus says, well, you know, my family are the people who do the will of God. Now later on we find out that some, at least of Jesus' brothers, changed their opinion. You know, they went from, he's out of his mind to, he's not out of his mind, he's the Messiah. Sounds like a line from Monty Python, doesn't it? And in fact, at least two of them, James and Jude, end up being counted among the apostles and even write some of the New Testament. But unity in a family isn't always easy, but it is always important. You know, Jesus prayed for unity for his disciples, for his followers, for his family. You know, the night he was betrayed, he was just about to be arrested. This was his, maybe his last chance to pray as a free man before he died. And what did he pray about? He prayed for you. He prayed for you. John 17, in verse 20, this is the prayer of Jesus. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, meaning the 11 in front of him, but also for all who will believe in me through their message. That's you guys. That's us. Jesus was praying for us. And what does he pray for us? He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, so they may be one as we are one. I am in them, this is how Jesus prayed, and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. This is Jesus' vision for his church. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Wow. So this is the first hallmark of God's family. We work at being united why? Because division in the church, disunity in the church, is the very opposite of what Jesus wants. Yeah, Paul picks up this theme, this theme in Ephesians 4 at the start of the chapter. He says, therefore, I'm a prisoner for serving the Lord, and I beg you to lead a life that's worthy of your calling, for you have been called by God. You have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle and be patient with each other making allowances for each other's faults because of your love make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit binding yourselves together with peace so this sense of unity this abhorrence of division this striving to always be one should be the first hallmark of God's family Secondly, I think family 
is generous to one another. And this, well, this is what the church looked like in Acts chapter 2. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. And a deep sense of awe came over them all. And the apostles performed many miracles and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place. And they shared everything that they had. And they sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together in the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper. And they shared their meals with great joy and generosity. And while the people praising God and enjoying the good... And, sorry, and all the while, the people were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day, the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. So this kind of practical generosity, I think, is another hallmark of God's family. Generosity both towards the people you see every week and those who happen to live further away. So hopefully you received an email at the start of November. We were talking about our annual Christmas present drive that we do at Hope Church, where we seek to, to sow into and give presents to the wider kingdom of God, helping our brothers and sisters near and far. The idea is that we do something local, something national, and something international. In previous years, we've done things like we've, we've helped to fund a missionary family. We've built toilets in a church in Sri Lanka. We've given microwaves to, to homeless people in Swindon as they're moving into a flat for the first time. Uh, we've put good new shoes on 20 pairs of little feet here in Malmesbury. We contribute to the Malmesbury Church Together Christmas Voucher Scheme, which gives um, co-op vouchers to, to families in need over Christmas. And we support the work of Christian Concern, a charity that, that fights for the rights of Christians here in the UK. So if you've got an idea about a charity that you care about, that you'd like us to be supporting be it nationally or internationally, uh, over Christmas into the new year, then please let us know. Go and reply to that email. You want to support charities that are connected to us, not, oh, I read about this on the internet, it sounds cool. We want to be connected to them in some way. So if you volunteered for that charity already, if you already support them, if you've been involved, if maybe you worked for them in the past, those are the sorts of people we want to get involved with. So... Don't talk to me after the service because I won't remember. Send an email because um, uh, we want to decide by the end of, uh, end of November. Practical generosity should be the hallmark of God's family and it's the second hallmark. You know, it said, greater love hath no man than that he lay out coffee for his brethren. Actually, does anybody have a coffee machine at home? Hands up if you have a coffee machine. Uh, one of those that you put capsules in and it makes stuff. Anybody got a capsule? Now, has anybody got one that takes Nespresso-style capsules? Two? So Lydia's going to send give... Anyone else? Just those two? So this, this is Christian coffee that Lydia's giving away. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I could see. Cri cri Christian coffee from, um, from Garden of Eden. So when, when, you, when you buy it, it's, the profits go to support Premier Christian Radio. Delicious coffee 
rubbish customer service because they sent me the wrong thing and I, <laughs> I can't return it. Anyway, speaking of coffee, uh, Claire, could you uh, just pop up? We've got a little announcement for us. So, we're going to start doing coffee again. Yay! <laughs> From the beginning of December, we're going to um, have coffee at the end of the service, not at the beginning, not in the middle, just at the end. Um, it's going to be very pared back in, you know, going along with what we're doing at the moment. So, it'll just be instant coffee. Sorry for those coffee lovers who don't like drinking instant. Just instant coffee and tea. It'll be on the in the table, on the table as you go out that door. So when we get to the end of the service, you'll go out, pick up your coffee and go and take it outside. So we hope that'll be a really good way of, you know, being able to chat again. Um, we do need a team, though, preferably a, a team of eight. So there's two people each week. Um, and it means that we only have to do it once a month. So what I need is volunteers. So, um, if you'd email me, my email's on the list uh, that we've all got of the email um, lists, or just, just come and speak to me. Um, one thing I would say about helping with coffee is it's a great way of getting to know people. Um, I found it really helpful when I first joined the church, that not long after I started volunteering for coffee. Um, and it's, it's a really good way, and you feel more part of the church somehow. So I do encourage you to come forward. And some men, not just, not just us women, some men would be really good. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Claire. Don't go too far. I'll get you to do something else in a second. But so practical generosity, right? serving each other, is a hallmark of um, God's family. And the third hallmark, the third characteristic, I think, of God's family is encouragement. Yeah, we encourage ourselves from the truth of Scripture. We encourage each other by pointing to Scripture. Yeah, we know that the Bible is true in what it says about us, even if we don't feel like it at the time. And we encourage one another, and we build each other up. And in fact, no one kind of says this better than the Apostle Paul. So rather than me piffling on, Claire, if you could just read out the end of Paul's first letter to the church in Thessalonia. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that, whether we are dead or alive when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, just as you are already doing. Dear brothers and sisters, honour those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work and live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy, encourage those who are timid, Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays back evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, 
For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Do not stifle the Holy Spirit. Do not scoff at prophecies, but test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Thank you, Claire. God will make this happen. If you need something to write on a post-it note and stick on the mirror in the bathroom this week, that's a pretty good candidate. God will make this happen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege of being counted among your children, part of your family here in Hope Church and the wider family of believers around the world. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters who face hardship or lack or persecution of any kind. Lord, we pray that you would be their provider, their healer, their justice, their strength, and their hope. Show us this week how we can better walk in unity, be practically generous, and encourage each other every single day. In Jesus' precious and powerful name, amen, amen, amen. Next week is the first week of Christmas here at Hope Church. Woo! So we're going to pause um, the Promise and the Purpose series so we can focus in on the Christmas story. We pick it back up again uh, in the new year for the rest of Luke chapter 8. Now, church, may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and his favour, favour, favour. And all the Lord's people said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Bless you, church. Have a united, generous and encouraged week. Amen.